Good morning, everybody. Somebody make a joke. Somebody make a short joke. I don't want to know. <clears throat> um, just uh, happy to be with you guys this morning. Uh, also, just grateful to be alive because Maritza's been out of town for the past couple days and left me here with two little girls. Uh, no, it's uh, just to answer all y'all's question. I know a lot of y'all were real sweet last weekend and asked me how I was doing. Doing really good. I've uh, had a lot of help. Uh, Victoria, Anya have helped me out, and uh, my parents obviously have helped us out a lot, and so it's been a real blessing, and I'm making it, okay? So I'm, I'm stronger because of it. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, <clears throat> and just to, speaking of Maritza, just to prepare you, uh, usually I run through my sermons with her a little bit before I uh, come and give them on Sunday morning. And last night was a first. Uh, I literally put her to sleep. Uh, she fell asleep while I was uh, giving it to her. And it was FaceTime, too, so it, that's pretty bad. Uh, if it was just on the phone, she could kind of fake that she was listening. But uh, yeah, she literally was, she just fell asleep while I was giving it. So uh, please don't do that to me, too, okay? If, you, if you're nodding off, I won't judge you if you have to go stand up in the back. Um, let me pray for us real quick before we get started. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, you have poured upon us perfect love. I pray, uh, Jesus, that you would come and you would make that... Um, extra real to us this morning. I pray that you would, um, as we hear the truth and the greatness of your love, I pray that you would just let, let that truth, let that beauty uh, produce in us all the things that you want it to. I pray that you would help me um, as I give this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, um, if you guys would pick up with me in uh, 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 7 is where we will, where we will begin. <clears throat> John starts off and he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And I'm just going to stop right there. Um, if any of y'all are... Uh, like me, you may be thinking, okay, we're talking about love again. Uh, if you've been here over the past few weeks, you'll know as we've been going through First John, uh, we have talked about love and God loving us and uh, loving one another almost every week, okay? Um, if you're like me, I like to, I don't love the whole repetitiveness of it, um, Whenever, especially like if I'm the one teaching, I want to get up and I want to share something. Uh, hey, Peyton, can you, uh, can you get him under control, please? It's really distracting for me. <laughs> I don't even think Peyton heard me. Uh, uh, I don't like to preach repetitive things. I want to come up and I want to share something that's new, and I want you to be like, whoa, never thought about that before. Josh is so smart. Um, but that's not really, uh, that's not, and so when I get sermons uh, like this and texts like this where it's like, oh, we're talking about love again, you know, um, 
it's not going to be something new, and it's not going to be something mind-blowing. Um, but here's the thing, is John is mentioning this over and over and over again because it's important. You know, preachers tend to have uh, shticks, I guess. Actually, you shouldn't be using that word because I don't actually even know what it means. And if I've learned anything from Luke, you shouldn't use words that you don't know what they mean uh, from the pulpit because it might end up being a bad word. If you don't know that story, you should go ask him about it later. Um, but um, preachers, we all kind of have our thing. You know, we have the thing that if we have our way, like if we have our way we're going to come back to these certain things over and over again. Some people, some preachers are really big on truth and really big on uh, the Bible and really important on doctrine and being, uh, being, uh, preaching sound scriptural messages. Uh, other people uh, are more, and this is kind of different denominations and stuff like that too, some people are more obsessed with uh, power and the Holy Spirit and prayer and God's presence and things like that, and every time they preach, they may come back to talking about, they're probably going to come back and talk about that. Um, I even have my own shticks, I should say, um, and there are things that I like to talk about. I like to talk about prayer. I like to talk about God's presence, identity, sometimes generosity, things like that. Um, but I will say that John's shtick, John's main thing, the thing that he keeps coming back to is love. I think Luke may have shared this story, or uh, there's a few like versions of this story about the Apostle John, but church tradition holds that uh, whenever John uh, was very old, and he did get very old, uh, he was the only uh, apostle that wasn't martyred, um, towards the end of his life, they had to carry him up to the pulpit, uh, for lack of a better word. And whenever he would get up there, he was so weak that he really couldn't say much. And so uh, every time he would speak towards the end of his life, he would get up and just say these few words. He would say, Beloved, let us love one another. And then that would be it, and they'd go take him, and he would go sit back down. Um, I know some of y'all are saying, well, that kind of actually kind of sounds nice. <laughs> Today will not be that kind of sermon. Uh, but John said this over and over and over and over again, because this, and I'm not going to say, and I'm not saying that this is just John's thing. I think this is actually God's thing. This is the most important thing. Love loving one another. Everything else is, I'm not going to say negotiable, but more negotiable than this. Uh, we can disagree about doctrine. We can disagree, uh, some doctrines I should say, we can disagree about um, some of these things that we believe about prayer or church life or missions or evangelism or whatever, but this is the main thing. This is the core. You can't mess this up and you can't go without it. And that's why John brings it over and over and over again. And that's why we're talking about it here again this morning. So, with that being said, let's, let's read that again and just a little bit more. Um, verse 70 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. So he, he brings up this idea that uh, if you love, you've been born of God. Uh, God and, and this is what he says at the very end. He says, God, because God is love. God is love. Now, a little bit more on that in just a second. But he says, if you know him, if you've been born of him, you love too. Say, 
there's this familial relationship that he's talking about is you've been born of God. God is love. You're going to love too. And he said, if you don't love, you obviously don't know God because God is love. And so what he's saying is that love is the, uh, what's the word for it? Um, there, it's the family resemblance. It's like that trait that gets passed down. Uh, I love my mom. She's a beautiful lady. Uh, God bless her. Uh, you can tell that I'm her son because of my nose. Uh, we have the same nose. It looks a lot better on her than it does on me. Uh, but we got that family resemblance, that trait got passed down to me. And so people can look at us, and it's more than just the nose. We just look a lot alike. But people can look at us, and they say, they, they just know, like people that I've never met before uh, who know my mom see me, and they go, oh, you're Julie's son, because uh, we have that family resemblance. And what John is saying is the family resemblance with God is love. He is love, and so if you, like, if you have really been born of him, he has passed down this trait of love to you, and you will love. If you don't love, what it's saying is you really don't look anything like God, and you must not be born of God. Uh, that would be like me trying to introduce myself as Gary Ditto's son. People would see me, and I would say that, and they would know that I'm obviously lying, because we... Uh, Besides our skin tone, we share nothing in common physically. <laughs> I wish that Gary was my dad. Uh, I'd be a much taller, handsome man. Um, but that sounds really bad. It sounds like I don't wish that my dad was my dad. Uh, I love my dad. Love you, dad. Um, but you get the idea is that love is that one thing that people see and, and they should be able to see, and it should be what connects us to God as our father. It should be something that has rubbed off on us, something that's been passed down to us from our father love. And it says, because God is love. I'm going to be honest with you. I wish I had more to say about those three words. God is love. But I'm not totally sure what it means. What I can say safely is that I think that what John is saying is if you could pick just one thing, if you had to do a fill in the blank and say, God is what, he would say, God is love. If you could pick out the one trait, the one characteristic that defines him more than anything, because he is so many things, love is what you would, is how he would describe God if you had to say it with just one word. And that, that really is amazing to me. Um, and me and Maritza were talking about this and just kind of marveling at it last night. Um, you know, she came back from, you know, she, she came from a um, Pentecostal background, and it's very fire and brimstone, and God is, you, God is to be feared. You know, he's scary. And so, you know, maybe, you know, from her background, she said before, you know, if she had to pick a word to describe God, maybe she would have said, God is powerful, or God is holy, and all those things God is but, man, and, and I didn't grow up in that background, but I don't think that that would be the one word that I would use to describe God. And maybe that is something that's still lacking in my faith <laughs> and my understanding of the Lord is that that's still, I think maybe we're all supposed to get to that point where even if we didn't know the Scripture, our experience with God and our understanding of all the Scriptures would tell us, man, if we had to just pick one word, God is love. Now, so like I said, I wish I, wish I had more to say about that, um, I, but I think that's honestly a pretty deep, philosophical, lofty, theoretical uh, thing to get into. 
And so I'll leave that to somebody who is smarter than me to talk about. But here's the nice thing, is he doesn't just leave it with God is love. Uh, he actually, John describes how God's love is actually played out in history. And it's beautifully simple. This is what he says. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Manifest meaning, this is how God showed that love. God is love, and this is how he showed it. The love of God was made manifest in us, among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. He says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, uh, the sacrifice for our sins. Um, went to Plato's closet uh, to buy some clothes the other day. Does anybody know what Plato's closet is? Anybody? Miss Donna, thrifter, Olivia, got it. If I ain't buying somebody, I don't like to buy clothes that haven't been broken in by somebody else first. Okay, this may just be a personal thing. Uh, it also doesn't hurt that everything's like $10. Um, but anyway, so I was flipping through shirts, and there's like always some interesting shirts when you like are looking through the thrift store. Uh, but one of them caught my attention, and uh, it said, uh, love, and it had it like kind of uh, displayed out in like the dictionary format, you know, it said love, colon, and it said, um, I, had, I had it memorized here, it said, intense feelings of deep affection, and that's how it defined love, intense feelings of deep affection, okay, uh, meaning you have these just just it's, it's, it's love, ultimately love is a big feeling is what it's saying um, and I thought that was interesting uh, I went home and googled it and that was the exact same um, definition that came up and that is how the world really defines what love is okay now I want I want to uh, be careful here and say I've heard a lot of sermons, and I think this, this is true. As Christians, we say love is more than that. It's, it's, it's a choice. Uh, love is, uh, and we'll get into that in just a second, but I don't want to say that love is not that at all. I don't want to say that love is not at all feelings of deep affection for someone. Because I've heard preachers get up and talk about this, and, you know, they're trying to make the point that the world says love is a feeling, love's not a feeling, love is a choice. You love somebody with your actions even though you don't like them. And almost what I felt like they had ended up saying whenever they got down from the pulpit is that God loves you because he has to, but he doesn't actually like you. <laughs> and he sent Jesus to die for you because he had to, and that was the loving thing to do, but he does not like you. <laughs> and I want to say... That is not true. And whenever we get up here and we say God is love and that God loves you, I want you to know that that also includes that he does feel feelings of intense affection for you. Can you hear that this morning? God actually likes you. But here's the thing is that's not enough, okay? That is a nice thought and that actually makes me like, love God more. Makes, it produces in me more deep feelings of intense affection for God. But that's not all that God, when we say God loves you, that's not all that it means. And this is what John says. He even defines it. He, says, he even says, this is love. 
Not that we, we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. And that is where we get our Christian biblical definition of love, is that love is desiring and acting. You can say it however you want, but it's, it's acting for somebody else's good, often at your own expense. And there has never been a greater display of somebody acting for somebody else's good at their own expense than Jesus going to the cross. See, we don't, we don't just need a God who's in heaven who likes us and has good feelings for us and has good will towards us and all that stuff. Well, that is true and that's who he is and all those things are true of him. We didn't just need God's his, his, his affections towards us. We needed a sacrifice for our sins. See, we as sinners needed a greater act of love than just those feelings. And that's what God did in Jesus. And in his love, he sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins. This is a big part of the love of God, but it gets even better, or it gets even crazier. I don't know how you, what word you would want to use, but it says, uh, this, is, this is really big, he says, and this is love. Not only did Jesus give so much of himself for us in an act of love, he did it for people who did not reciprocate love back. It says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. And this is a major theme in the New Testament, and it's something that's very important to understand about the act of the cross and about God's love for you, is that God loved you first. God loved you before you loved him. And that's the case with all of us. There was a point in all of our lives that we did not love God. At least I'm pretty sure. I'm the only person that I have concern that I may think this may not be true about is Sydney. Sydney may have always loved God from the womb. I'm not totally sure, um, but I just want to embarrass Sydney. Um, but here's the thing: is God loved you before you loved Him, and this is shown like really, especially clearly in Romans chapter five. I think almost everybody, if you've been in church very long, you've heard this, you know this. He said, the Apostle Paul said, maybe someone would die for a righteous person or for a good person, maybe. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God loved you before you loved him. God loved you, he even uses the word in that same passage, he uses the word enemies. He said that we were enemies when Jesus died for us. I'm going to take the, the long way back around. Uh, this is going to just, it's going to seem like it's, not related, or it's going to seem, just stick with me here. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, there is this, there's this place where um, Jesus says something um, that it seems kind of concerning at first. Uh, he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that is kind of like a concerning verse, uh, and it seems like a lot to ask, <laughs> and seems like kind of a scary thing to ask, especially if you grew up in a legalistic background, which that was like, where that was like kind of actually the demand, and it makes you think almost like, oh man, like maybe they were right, like maybe I am supposed to try to be perfect. Um, but whenever you put it into the context, uh, it makes a, a lot of sense. Uh, right before that, Jesus is talking about love, and specifically loving uh, your enemies, and he says that he... he depicts this idea that, like, our love as, as normal people uh, is, is lacking. He said, he, he looks at God and he says, look, God, 
He sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous, and he causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good. God loves everyone. God loves good people and evil people, people that love him and people that don't love him. But he says, if, but you though, like, if you love people who only love you, what are you doing more than all the normal people? He said, sinners, tax collectors love people that love them. And so like, there's this almost like, if like 10 out of 10, uh, it, one out of 10 is like loving people who love you, like loving your mom. Um, and then like maybe like five out of 10 is like loving a stranger. But then like 10 out of 10 would be like, you're loving even the people who hate you. Like you are, uh, you're loving everyone. And they're saying like, that is what God does is he is, he is and so bringing it back, he said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Um, that word perfect can mean flawless. Uh, it's sometimes used to describe like the spotless lamb who has no blemish. There's nothing wrong with it. A hundred, not a 99, a hundred on the test. Um, but a lot of times it can also mean complete or it can mean whole. Uh, it can mean mature. And so uh, I think that's what we're talking about here in Matthew 5 is Jesus say, is saying, be perfect, be complete in love. Be like your father who loves everyone, who loves so much that he loves even the people who hate him. Uh, and so he's saying that complete love, that's what complete love is, is loving everybody. Okay, you guys still with me? Okay, here's what I'm trying to say, is even though that John doesn't use that word, doesn't use, uh, he doesn't say perfect love here, I think that's what he's talking about. He's saying this is love, that, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. So what he's saying is that we have been recipients of what Jesus would call perfect love. Because we, at one time, were enemies of God, and even in that time, Jesus died for us. God loved us when we were enemies. We have been recipients of God's perfect love. Um, if I can illustrate this a little bit, um, I have two babies now. Um, Grace is so sweet. She is like the sweetest baby that uh, I have ever been around. She is always smiling. Uh, I have actually just started calling her Smiley um, because she's just always smiling. But here's the best part is she smiles the most at me. Uh, like I just, sometimes I'll just like, uh, like I'll be holding her. I'm like not even paying attention to her, like watching TV or like doing something. And then I'll look down and she's just like, uh, it's really adorable and kind of creepy, uh, but it's really sweet, but she does it for me more than anyone. Um, Maya was not like that, okay? Um, there were times, granted she was like a little bit older, um, so maybe Grace had, still has time to turn, but uh, Maya was a little bit older, and uh, there, there was like this long stint of a couple months where um, like I would come home from work in the afternoon, and I would walk in the door, and Maya would hear the door open, and she would turn around to see who it was, and she would see me, and she would go, no, <laughs> no, uh, and then run away, um, and she would say, don't, don't, don't take me, don't take me, um, and there'd be other times where I would go in and I would wake her up in the morning and, you know, uh, she would see me, same thing, she would turn around and see who it was and she would see it was me and um, she, was, she would say, no, Dada, just Mama. Uh, so, that, so that hurt a lot. Um, and it was frustrating and it, and it hurt at the time. Uh, but I will say that um, there is 
there's literally no difference between the way that it made me love Maya at the time whenever she would look at my face and just scream no at my presence to where Grace would, you know, just sit here and smile at me all the time uh, and think I'm the greatest person in the world. And this is, this is what we're talking about, perfect love, is that God is loving all of us with this deep, intense feelings of affection and loving us enough to send His Son Jesus to die for us. We've all been recipients of His perfect love. So there's just a couple things that, um, there's a whole lot that we could talk about. There's a lot of really good stuff um, here in the rest of this chapter, but um, I don't think time would permit us to talk about all of it. But I do want to just talk about uh, specifically a couple things. And, and a couple of things that receiving God's perfect love is supposed to produce in us, okay? Um, so picking up in uh, verse 11, the first one, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It's the same word that we were just talking about a minute ago. His love has been made complete. It's come full circle. It's been made whole in us. So the first thing that receiving perfect love is supposed to produce in us is that we would love one another. I know that this is like, you know, this is, this is the thing that I'm talking about that we've heard over and over and over again. But it's the thing that is so important to John. And the reason that he's saying it over and over and over again is, one, I think because it's important, but two, because it doesn't come naturally to us, okay? John doesn't say something like, this is stupid, forgive me, just, I say stupid things sometimes. John doesn't say, go enjoy donuts. Like, you don't have to tell people to enjoy donuts because it just comes naturally and it's so easy. But loving one another not, is not always coming naturally or easy. Um, I don't remember who said this. I might be saying this wrong, but uh, I'm going to butcher it, but you get the idea. They say, uh, somebody has made the joke that uh, if you want to learn how to love your enemies, get married, right? Um, only the married people laughed at that one. Uh, <laughs> marriage is great, Callie and Brett. I promise you guys are going to love it. It's awesome. But it's, very, it's a very sanctifying thing as well. Uh, it's going to make you more like Jesus. Uh, Family is sometimes the hardest people to love because you see like the like you see the realest part of them like you see them really early in the morning like before we have makeup on or before we've had our coffee or anything like that. I don't wear makeup. I said we talking about. <laughs> my wife doesn't wear makeup either. Uh, where was I going with this? Uh, family. Family's hard to love. Okay, <laughs> but that is also the case. With church family, okay? You know, we were talking about how uh, love, a real part of love, is feelings of deep affection, uh, feelings of deep affection for, for people. I'm mixing it up now. But I want you to know, and I'm so glad to, to say this, um, I have experienced that kind of love for many people in this church. I really do, like when I think of many of you, um, I really do just have inside of me that, that feeling of intense affection that 
rises up inside of me. Sorry if that makes you feel uncomfortable. Um, but sometimes, some of you annoy me, okay? And sometimes some of you have hurt me, okay? And I know that I have hurt some of you, and I have, in the very least, I know for a fact, have annoyed many of you, okay? <laughs> um, but here's the deal. That is going to happen in family, and that's why John is writing this, is that it's not always going to be easy for us to love one another here in church. That's why he's having to tell us over and over again to do it. Now, it may not be that hard if you just come and show up on Sunday mornings and we never see you again and you're just here for an hour and you leave. Uh, we're actually pretty likable people uh, during this hour. None of us have any problems and we smile a lot. Uh, but if you really get into our lives, if you get into a grow group, if you uh, see us outside of this place, uh, you're going to know that we have issues and we're not always the nicest people, okay? Um, and here's the deal. Learning to love one another is harder um, if you really dig deep and you really uh, get yourself here into church life and you say, you know what, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to learn how to love. I'm going to learn how to be made more complete in love. Um, it's going to be hard, but we're going to be made more like Jesus because of it. You see, a lot of us, we only want to love people that we like and that are nice to us all the time. And that's why a lot of people, whenever they, uh, whenever, uh, they leave church, they say, well, somebody hurt me, and so I left that church. Um, if you stick around for any period of time, you will be hurt by people in church. It's just going to happen. And you can leave, and you can try to go to another church, but if that becomes your MO, you're going to go to a lot of churches before you either just stop going to church or before you die. <laughs> Becoming complete in love looks like loving one another here in our brotherhood, in church. It looks like instead of staring up at the ceiling at night and thinking about what you should have said to that person, you pray for them. And it looks like instead of going and telling everybody else what that person said to you, you go to that person privately and you say, hey, you know, this, this hurt me. Um, and you deal with it like family. This is, this is what we have to do. It's going to be harder, but this is what it looks like to become more complete in love. This is how love becomes completed in us, as if we learn to love one another. I'm just really excited to be doing that with y'all here, because I know that the Lord has been doing that in me. I grew up in megachurch, uh, and so I knew very little people, and so I really didn't have to deal with many people. I uh, didn't get close to people, but here I've had the awesome experience of, for the first time, really uh, being in a church that um, it feels like I have family. Um, and so, um, like I said, that's been hard and, uh, in some ways, but for the most part, um, the Lord has really grown me in love, and I have all of you to thank for that. So, um, thanks for letting me be at your church. There's one other thing uh, that perfect love is supposed to complete, uh, is supposed to bring about in us, uh, but there is one thing that I want to uh, bring up that is just an aside um, before we get there, and that's, we're going to skip over a couple verses, uh, but if you would go with me to verse 15, this is important. In verse 15, he says, whoever confesses 
that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. You know, love is the thing that keeps coming up over and over and over again, and it's, it's the evidence that he says that somebody knows God. He says, if anyone loves God, if anybody loves people, it, it's clear that he loves God and all that stuff. Um, and so, I want to tell you something, is that there are probably a lot of non-Christian people who up to this point in my message would have said amen a lot. You hear what I'm saying? Because there are a lot of people out there who say, yeah, man, like all that really matters is love, bro. Like your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and break out the bongo drums and everything like that. Um, They say, all that really matters is love. Love is the main thing, but it is not the only thing. God is love, but Jesus is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth, and the truth matters. And so we can't, love is the most important thing, but it's not the only thing. And what you believe about Jesus, more than anything, uh, matters. Just had to say that. Last thing, um, the last thing that perfect love is supposed to produce in us. If you go to verse 17, it says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Here's the thing, here's the last thing that perfect love is supposed to do in us. It's supposed to drive out fear. Specifically, fear of condemnation. Specifically on the day of judgment, right? Um, Do you guys remember, uh, I talked a few weeks ago about about John's purpose in writing the letter, at least I mentioned it, is in chapter 5, we'll probably talk about it again next week, uh, is... He says, I write these things to you. Why? So that you may know that you have eternal life. He said, that's why I wrote this letter to you. I want you to know that you're saved. And that's, that's a big deal, to be able to know that. Um, forgive me, I, I'm gonna, I don't know who said this, um, and I, I don't think it was too personal. I don't think this person would be, I don't know who it is, but I, don't, I think they're not petty like that. Uh, so, I heard somebody talking about a story. I think it was maybe about a church member. Um, it might have been you, Luke. Uh, but <laughs> uh, so hold on, maybe they are petty. Um, but they're talking about a church member who um, who was on their deathbed. This was an older person, and they had lived their entire life in church. They had gone to church their entire life, Christian, um, and on their deathbed, they were terrified, and they. Were, were terrified because they didn't know whether or not they'd be going to heaven. Was that you, Luke? No, he says yes. Okay. Uh, um, but if John heard about that story, he would be grieved to hear that. It was you. Okay. John would be grieved to hear that there was a Christian person who believed in Jesus their entire life and went to church and tried to follow him, and they made it to their deathbed, and they didn't know where they would be going after they died. 
he would say that's a tragedy because he says God's love, his perfect love, one of the things, one of the primary things it's supposed to produce in us is that it would cast out fear of condemnation. You should not be afraid of God if you are a Christian. What about, the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's true. We, we do, you, can, you can fear God. You can revere Him. You can be in awe of Him. You can be amazed by Him, and you can respect Him and love Him at the same time. But you cannot be afraid of Him, scared of Him, scared of being punished, and love Him at the same time. It just doesn't work. If we are afraid of Him, we will not approach Him in confidence. But if we are if we have been received perfect love, we should be able to know that we can approach him with confidence. There's this, uh, there's this really, there's this, this strange phrase that he uses when he, when he says this. He says, um, um, he says, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Why? Because as he is, also are we in this world. It's talking about Jesus. And if you just glance over that real quick and you just read through it really fast, um, if you're just trying to get through your, uh, your Bible reading time for the day and you're not actually taking time to really listen, you may just read that and say, uh, and, and hear, oh, as Jesus was in the world, so are we supposed to be. Jesus was nice and Jesus was kind and Jesus did good things and Jesus loved the poor and all that stuff. And so we should be like him too. We should do that too. And then you move on. But that's not what it says. It says, as he is, present tense, so are we, present tense, in this world. And whatever that means, he's saying that is the reason that we're supposed to have confidence on the day of judgment. And, you know, I'm not completely sure, but I'm pretty sure this is kind of what John is getting at. Is that Jesus, right now, is the Son of God, and He is the recipient of all of God's love and God's favor. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, you and me also, right now, as you sit in this room, have also been made sons of God and daughters of God because of what He has done. And you have also become recipients of His love and His favor. We are, the Bible goes so far as to say that we are siblings of Christ. We are brothers and sisters of Christ. That is a crazy thing to say. And it almost sounds like you should, like, <laughs> we shouldn't say it. Uh, but you have been made a son and a daughter of God. There's even, it even goes so far, I'll even say this, is he says, as he is, so are we also in this world. Uh, I, my mind goes to Ephesians chapter 1 where he says that, he says this very mysterious thing. He says, you have been se- you are seated in heaven uh, you are you are seated with Christ in heavenly places wow so this idea of like not saying that as Jesus we're not completely like Jesus and that you know we're perfect or that we have glorified bodies or that we're sinless or any of those things but in some way this is supposed to lead us to not have fear of God to not be afraid of God and here's where I'm going with this is God has loved us with a complete and a perfect love. Specifically that he loved us even when we were his enemies. Okay? Even whenever we hated him. Even when we were sinners, God loved us. 
if God did so much as to send his only son to die for us while we were his enemies, that's how much he loved us then. How much more on the day of judgment will he love us as his very own son or daughter that comes before him because of what Jesus has done? Because as he is, so are we also in this world. On the day of judgment, we will not be approaching God as a sinner. We will not be approaching God as his enemy. We will be approaching him as a beloved son or daughter that he died for, even while we were his enemies. So that's God's perfect love. Um, Can I pray for us real quick before we go? Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for loving us uh, with a complete, with a perfect love. Would you make it real to us today? God, I pray that you would complete us in love. Would you make our love complete? Help us to love one another. And I pray that you would drive out our fear. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.